we're back in Luke this morning, picking up in chapter 13 and verses 18 to 30. Picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, two parables and then uh, the narrow door. So Luke chapter 13, reading from verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth, When you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. Let's have a word of prayer before we unpack these verses. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. We come with open hearts and minds and we are eager to hear your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So questions can be um, uh, very revealing. Sometimes people ask a question in order to uh, be able to uh, to say something, and Jesus often does that. He often asks a question to, uh, you know, provoke a discussion. And just a reminder of the the context of where we're at. Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem. Remember, he started that journey way back in chapter nine and verse fifty-one. Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross. He knows what's going to happen when they get there. His disciples don't. So Jesus has, uh, is, is sort of running out of time to uh, educate his disciples, to re-educate them about their expectations of what the Messiah is going to do, because they've got an understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, but they are, uh, they've got a, 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 a kind of fixed idea of what they th- who they think the Messiah is and what they think he's going to do. They've got an I- ideas about the kingdom of God, and Jesus has got limited time to, to teach them to try and enlighten them, to give them stuff that they won't understand in the moment, but after the resurrection, they'll remember and they'll start to put it all together. So, verse 18, Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Now, the disciples would answer that question by saying, well, we know what the kingdom of God is like, and we're really excited about 
arriving in Jerusalem because we know that when we get there, God is going to step decisively into history. God is going to place the Messiah, that's you Jesus, on the throne. God is going to step into history and judge the Gentile nations who have been oppressing us. There's going to be a wonderful uprising and the Romans are going to be thrown out of Jerusalem. Israel is going to be established once again as an independent nation with you on the throne and we are going to be your first cabinet. That's how they would have answered the question. It's going to be blitzkrieg. It's going to be shock and awe. That's what's going to happen when we get there. So Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? And that's what they immediately have in their mind. And he says, well, it's going to be like a mustard seed. And they're all going, what? What do you mean a mustard seed? You can't even see a mustard seed. It's so tiny. It it would not compute with their understanding of the kingdom of God and their expectations of the kingdom of God. They're like, whoa. And he's like, you're barely going to be able to see it. But... It's like a seed that a man planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. In the ancient world, one of the symbols for great empires was a tree. They were were pictured as a tree and all the nations and kingdoms that they gobbled up and came within their remit were pictured as birds in the tree. So when Jesus talks about a tree, that's immediate. They've got that picture in their minds of a great empire... Uh, uh, within which are all sorts of kingdoms and nations they get swallowed. So Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God, it starts tiny. You can barely see it. It starts with a carpenter turned preacher from Nowheresville, Nazareth, with a ragtag bunch of people gathered around him. Uh, No organisation, no structure, no political party, no military wing, no no, nothing. This tiny gaggle of people in this tiny remote corner of the Roman Empire, that's how it starts. And yet here we are 2,000 years later with a third of the world's population nesting in the tree of the kingdom of God. That's how it begins. It begins tiny. So they'll remember this and think, oh, well, we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be discouraged after the resurrection when persecution kicks in. They'll remember and think, oh, no, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said it would start tiny. So we should never be uh, worried. We should never be anxious when our perception of the kingdom of God is very tiny. Remember, I always remember um, uh, Ian Denyer uh, often reminding me that, you know, when he first came to the chapel here in Bolney, uh, there was a mustard seed. There were two elderly ladies who turned up faithfully morning and evening to pray. A mustard seed, and yet God's grown a tree. That's how the kingdom of God works. We should never be worried about size or numbers. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. Verse 20, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The way the kingdom of God works is it's not outside in, it's inside out. I think I said a few weeks ago that I, um, I make bread at home and then had to clarify uh, to say that I put ingredients in a machine that makes bread. But I'm kind of aware of the, of the process that you put, you know, you put a whole load of flour in and then a little teaspoon of, of yeast and then you just press the button and go away and wait for the beep. And the magic happens 
that the yeast somehow works its way all through the dough and you end up with you know, a lovely loaf of bread. That's how it works. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's not something that comes in from the, from the outside and goes, boom, there you go. It starts on the inside as we respond to the message of Jesus, as we respond to the welcome of Jesus and invite him in. He begins a process of transformation in our lives. Sometimes we get depressed, or I get depressed, uh, because I'm, I'm not as sanctified as I would want to be. I'm not as holy as I would want to be in my life. I can look back and see how I've changed over the years, but I'm very impatient. I wish, I wish I was further on in the process of sanctification. I wish the yeast had worked a bit more through my dough. And uh, as I get older, there seems to be a bit more dough than there used to be. But um, it hasn't quite worked its way right the way through. But, but Jesus' promise is, well, if you put the yeast in, it just, it works. It will work. That's what it does. And there's so much in the New Testament that reminds us of that, that it's, it's a process from the outsides in. Uh, very familiar verses from Romans chapter 12, where Paul says we shouldn't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. It's a process as the Spirit of God dwells within us and works within us. Paul, again, in writing to the church in Philippi, he says that he's confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. So until we go to be with Jesus or Jesus comes to be with us, God is working in us. He's transforming us. The yeast is working in our characters. A bit later on, Paul says in the same letter, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, he says, um, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Faith is not something we work up. It's something we work out from our lives. The first letter of Peter, uh, writing to uh, Christians who were suffering persecution through uh, in what what is now um, modern-day Turkey, Christians who were dispersed, he writes to encourage them. And in 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, he reminds them... That they have been given new birth. They have been given new birth. The day that we accepted Jesus Christ, we were born again. We began our eternal life. But Peter goes on to say, uh, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are receiving, you are being transformed. The yeast is working in you. It's a gradual process, but it's an automatic process if the conditions are right. Yeast only works if the conditions are right. If it's, if it's too cold or too hot, uh, the yeast won't work. It, it, the temperature needs to be just right. So how do we set the temperature for the kingdom of God to grow in our lives? How do we set the right conditions for the kingdom of God to grow within us? Let me suggest three things uh, that we might want to do. If we want to see the kingdom of God grow in us and transform us. First off is to be immersed in God's revelation. 
God's primary revelation is in the person of Jesus Christ. And next is his revelation through this book that we study week in, week out. Uh, Paul wrote to his young protege, uh, Timothy, second letter of Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. If we want the yeast of God's kingdom to work through the dough of our lives, well then we need to know the truth. And God's word is the truth. So first off, we need to be immersed regularly in his revelation. So we understand who he is. We understand how he works. We understand his promises for our lives. Second, we need to draw near to him. I remember when I first became a Christian uh, nearly 40 years ago, the penny dropped that being a Christian, it wasn't just about turning up at church and trying to live a good life. It was about drawing near to God. It was about relationship. It was, I, I realised, oh wow, I've got to do something about this. Because this is relationship, and relationships don't grow unless you put some effort in. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, okay, so if I want my relationship with Jesus to grow, I've got to spend time with him. I've got to sit with him. I've got to learn how to pray. I've got to draw near to him. And the Bible says if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So we need to immerse ourselves in the truth of his word. We need to spend time with him. And then we need to worship we need to worship, which doesn't um, uh, just mean turning up on a ch- uh, you know, to church for an hour on a Sunday morning and not singing. Uh, it's about a daily surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why the ascension I was talking about at the beginning of the service is so important because Jesus is still reigning. And worship is about a daily act of surrender. It's beginning every day by saying, well, Jesus, I'm here for you. This life that you've given me is a life that you bought at great cost on the cross. So I begin this day by offering you my life. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? So the kingdom of God, it's like yeast that works from the inside out. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and accept him, that yeast begins to work through our lives. And it's the same with Christians in a community. The presence of Christ in the presence of Christians in a community should have a, should have a good effect on the community around it. Uh, Jesus said that um, you know, we're like a, you know, a, a light on a hill. We don't hide it, we shine. The Christian presence in a community should transform that community. Our lives should impact the lives of those around us should show people what the kingdom of God looks like because in us they see the love of God and the compassion of God and the care of God. So the kingdom of God, it starts tiny and it grows big. It starts on the inside and it works out. Then Jesus goes on. Another question. Uh, Jesus asks the first question, what is the kingdom of God? And now someone asks him a question. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to be saved? Now, the assumption we can probably make is that the question is being asked by a fellow Jew. And the assumption that they are making is probably the answer to this question is yes. Only a few are going to be saved because the Messiah is coming for his people. 
The Messiah is coming for the Jews and he's coming to punish the Gentiles who've been oppressing the Jews. And the assumption, the other assumption probably of the person asking this question is that they are going to be included in the few simply by virtue of the fact that they are Jewish by birth. So they ask the question and again it's an opportunity for Jesus to unpick that and do a bit of re-education. So Jesus is, is responding to someone who is making the assumption that they are included and making the assumption that the few who are going to be included are those like them, other Jews. And immediately Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So Jesus says, uh, well, away, um, well, he doesn't really answer, he says, well, the door is very narrow and you need to make an effort to get through the door, even if you're a Jew, you need to make an effort to get through the door. Because as we've been learning, as we've gone on this journey with Jesus, the tragedy is that most of the Jews don't recognise Jesus as the Messiah. Most of them are, are missing it completely. And Jesus is saying to them, don't be complacent. Don't think that just because you are you know, you're Jewish by birth... That guarantees your salvation. Actually, you need to respond to the Messiah. We might kind of extrapolate from that and say, well, don't assume just because you turn up in church every Sunday morning that that guarantees you salvation. Don't assume that just because you live a good moral life that that guarantees you salvation. No, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Well, who's the narrow? What is the narrow door? Well, the narrow door is is Jesus. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except by me. That's how narrow this door is. The narrow door is one person. Every other religious system, every other ideology, every other philosophy misses the narrow door. Every other religious system, it's not a path to eternal life. Jesus said he was the only path to eternal life. Well, why? Well, we'll remember later on in our service when we have communion. Why? But let me just read from um, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Uh, The writer of the Hebrews, again, writing to encourage Christians under persecution. He says, therefore, chapter 10, verse 19, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's why Jesus is the narrow door because he's the once and for all sacrifice every other religious system one way or another relies on self-righteousness in order to get you where you hope to go obey the rules obey the laws obey the moral code live the right way self-righteousness christianity the the good news of jesus is not about self-righteousness it's about God's righteousness 
um, imputed to us, given to us as a free gift. And that's made possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. There's just the one door and his name is Jesus. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. This is a, when you, when you really think about it, this is just the most um, tragic picture of what is going to happen. It, it's the most gut-wrenching picture of what is going to happen, that there is a narrow door. And if you miss the, the narrow door, you know, this is, this is a time-limited offer. This is not like a DFS furniture sale where you know it's going to come around again. You know, there's, there's a fixed period within which it's possible to respond to God's grace. And it's because God loves us so much that he's extended the time in which we have the opportunity to respond to his love and be welcomed into his kingdom. But one day Jesus will return. And one day Jesus will return as, as a judge. And that's part of the gospel. Um, uh, Paul writes in um, Romans chapter 1. He writes, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So Paul has this urgency in him to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because he knows that the wrath of God is coming. And when we think about that, we kind of panic and we think, oh, crumbs, the wrath of God. And when we think about wrath, we t- I tend to think of someone who's lost their temper and has flown off the handle and is foaming at the mouth. That's not God's wrath. God's wrath is his settled view against wickedness, evil and unrighteousness. So actually God is angry and wrathful about the same things that we are. Because I'm angry about injustice and I'm angry about evil and I'm angry about unrighteousness. And I would love all of those things to be removed from the world. And so would we. And all of us want to live in a world without those things. Well, God's the same. He tolerates them for now. Why? Because he loves us. And he's extending an invitation for us to respond to him. But Jesus says one day the door will be shut. One day Jesus will return. And then all evil and all unrighteousness and all injustice will be removed. And the new eternal creation will be devoid of all of those things. Fantastic. Wonderful. But, problem, we are unrighteous. Which is why it's such good news that Jesus is the narrow door, thrown open, inviting us to enter in. But it's heartrending. Heartrending. Some will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. And he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. In the context, remember, the Jews have this complacent assumption that because they're Jews they're going to be okay they say we ate and drank with you you taught in our streets but they didn't respond Jesus says I don't know you or where you come from remember their their expectation is that uh, you know God's going to rescue them punish the Gentiles verse 29 Jesus says people will come from east and west and north and south the Gentile nations where they're going to get in first 
Why? Because they will see Jesus and they'll see who he was and what he did and they will respond. And the people who should have been first uh, will come in last. Uh, There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. So I guess two things for us to um, reflect on this morning. And I guess the first one, which is always the most important, is, well, you know, have we walked through the narrow door? Have we walked through the narrow door? It's, it's uncomfortable. It's not politically correct. It's, it's, um, it's not quite illegal, but the days are probably coming when it will be illegal to stand here and say, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only path to eternal life. But I say it and I preach it because he said it first. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So whether or not it gets me into trouble in due course, it's what Jesus said and it's what we declare as the church. And so the question is always, well, have you? Have you walked through the narrow door? The door is wide open at the moment, but Jesus says the day will come when it will be closed. So have you responded to the good news that Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross for you. He opened the way into the holy place. We don't have to stress. We don't have to strive. We don't have to work hard. We just have to receive this gift and then work it out. Let the yeast work through our lives. So that's the first question. The second thing just for us to reflect on is, have I set the right conditions in which the yeast of the kingdom of God can grow in my life? Have I set the temperature just right so that the yeast of God's kingdom can work through my life? Am I immersed in God's word? Am I drawing near to him? Am I daily surrendering my life in worship to him? So let's take a few moments to pray together and just draw near to the Lord and ask him, Lord, Lord, what do I need to do? Lord, what do I need to change? Maybe already the Holy Spirit is, is nudging you. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of just something you need to change, something you need to do.